0: Prague 2020. History is happening right now, all over the world. The same story, connected and highlighted by the toppling of monuments. Ozymandias is proud to offer part two of a five part podcast series titled An Ordeal in Prague. The keystone of this series is the removal of Marshal Ivan Konev's Statue of Liberation, which on April 3rd, 2020, was removed from its perch in Prague. This Statue of Liberation, when it was built, why it was built, and the story of its removal, involves two biographies, one of Marshal Ivan Konev himself and one of Václav Havel. Both of these men are 20th century giants, but their history continues as a 21st century drama. An ordeal in Prague, a clash of geographies, ideologies, and lasting legacies, shows us the light of liberalism and the shadow of authoritarianism. Dealing with sometimes the uncomfortable and always the historical, my name is Marcus and this is Ozymandias. Times titled their Ivan Konev obituary, Marshal Ivan S. Konev, War Hero Dies. It was a pretty straightforward obituary. Objectively, Marshal Konev was one of the outstanding Soviet military leaders of all of World War II. He was a brilliant tactician. A master commander of tank warfare. Think Patton or think Rommel. Konev is the Kremlin's real winter soldier. He was a big deal. It was Ivan Konev who brought to the heel the Nazi Blitzkrieg in the Eastern Front. Ivan Konev was the first to push the Germans back across the Soviet borders. His Soviet tanks swept across Poland 200 miles in 13 days. Ivan Konev was the first to cross into German soil in World War II. His life, Ivan Konev, before he ends up in Prague as a statue, his life was really started-from-the-bottom-now-we're-here tale Ivan Stepanovich Konev probably just going to go with Ivan Konev from here on out or Marshall Konev was born 1897 in the village of Lodemo his parents were poor peasants and he began work as a lumberjack at the age of 12 As far as lumberjacks go, the Red Army's Paul Bunyan would soon trade in his axe for a rifle at age 18. In 1916, he was drafted into the Tsar's army and sent to the Ukrainian front. But just shortly after, with the revolution of February 1917 and then the revolution of March 1917, those two revolutions back to back, if that triggers, and you're thinking Anastasia running around with cartoon version of John Cusack running from Rasputin and his demons, that's exactly the February-March revolution that uh, recalled Ivan Konev home from the front. After the execution of the Romanov family in the end of their 300-year dynasty, The Bolsheviks sent Ivan Konev and thousands of other soldiers home, ending Russian involvement in the First World War. This would not be Ivan Konev's last changing of the guard. This would not be his last role to play in a revolution. Uh, In his first revolution, he would be sent home. In future revolutions where he would be involved... He would be playing the role of cracking down on the people's voice. As a free agent, now on the waiver wire, the young Konev joined the Victors, the Communist Party in 1918, and fought for the Red Army in August of that year. He's back in it, not going back to being the lumberjack. He fought in the Civil War in Siberia, Civil War really, getting everybody in line on the home front, Then he fought in the Civil War uh, throughout Siberia and also was able to fight against the Japanese. So he's starting to fight his way into the military class properly. And he goes on to even graduate from the top military academy in Moscow in 1926. This guy's sticking around. Konev was a division commander in 1937 when the purges hit the ranks of the Red Army officers. Now, when you hear the word purges in history, it's always bad. Though, Ivan Konev was unaffected by the purge. Very rare, very lucky. He was decorated in 1938 after the purges with the Order of the Red Star and the Order of the Red Banner and placed in command of an army purges of his peers advanced Konev. When the Germans invaded the Soviet Union, Konev halted their attack with a maneuver that came to be known as the Konev Ambush. So stopping the Germans is a big deal. And the Konev Ambush is a big deal in Russian military history. The Cone of Ambush was a planned retreat in the center, with the flanks then snapping shut across the breach to trap the enemy, to trap the enemy within their advance. That might sound familiar to you. Quick aside, every time that a guy does the double envelope move, they get an award, they get to name it. Come on, my guy Joshua Lawrence Chamberlain, may his statue in Maine never be touched, did the same move at Gettysburg shoot, the citizens of Athens pulled it off at the Battle of Marathon in 490 BC honestly, not that strategically impressive, but the results were incredible for everyone at this point of World War II, so we'll let the Kona of Ambush stay as branded for now, but officially and on the record I'm not that impressed this entrapment, this move entrapped and imprisoned 100 100,000 fully-armed, marching, tooth-and-nail Nazi soldiers immediately winning Ivan Konev the promotion to the Marshal of the Soviet Union. Big-time promotion for our lumberjack. All the way up. After the war, I'm just kind of moving right along and following Marshal Konev. Basically, tanks for Marshal Konev went from the Russian front beat back and were able to capitalize after the millions of people were lost at Stalingrad, and then the tanks were able to roll through, and pretty much at this point in the war, it was just a matter of time, a race to Germany between uh, the United States and the Allies, and on the other end, Marshal Konev. And after the war, it was Marshal Konev who became the Soviet representative of on the Allied Control Council in Vienna. He was in command of Soviet forces liberating Eastern Europe. Our lumberjack is now one of the most powerful people on the planet, for real, Ivan Konev. I didn't really know anything about the Winter Soldier until digging into this either. So um, honestly, from a rags to riches tale, pretty impressive from the, from the Lumberjack life and the early career opportunity at the, at the young age of 12. Um, well, as post-war tensions rose after World War II, 1961, Premier Nikita Khrushchev names Marshal Konev the new commander of East Germany giving him 20 divisions, one of the largest standing professional armies in the world. Within three days, 72 hours, Marshal Konev puts pen to paper and issues the order that would begin work on the famous wall separating East Berlin from the West. Ivan Konev, our guy that we're talking about, made the Berlin Wall. For months, the world worried about a potential eruption of war. By October, the United States and Soviet tanks faced each other with guns pointing only 100 yards away. Those are Konev's tanks across the field from Patton's tanks. Like, this is their guy, right? Like, and we just had a war. <laughs> this is running really hot. And to lower the guns at the point of the brink of war, Khrushchev seeing and perhaps... Noticing the symbolic power of Marshal Konev, he recalls Marshal Konev, a symbol of Soviet desire to relax tensions. Imagine the deep sigh of relief across the world to see Konev recalled. Back to 2020 for a moment. In fairness to the Russian diplomats that are giving our mayors the... uh, (laughs) Um, I mean, threatening them with their, with their lives, but beyond, you know, and, and probably some diplomats just, you know, doing their jobs and carrying out what, the, what their state is telling them to do. You know, they're saying that the, that the mayors are trying to rewrite history with fact-checking Marshall Konev. He was well, twice designated a war hero of the Soviet Union by Stalin. His remains are buried in the Kremlin, from trapping 100,000 advancing Nazis to going toe-to-toe with the USA and Berlin. Again, this is their winter soldier, born a poor lumberjack, loyal to the Kremlin to the end. He was an understandably kind of a, a bit of a party propaganda goldmine. I kind of understand the whole kind of idea of, hey this is our guy <laughs> we, are, we really have invested in propping up his story and his lumberjack to um, you know remains in the Kremlin sort of sort of story critiques of his monument in 2020 really understanding the weight of the man from the 20th century Ivan Coden that's really these mayors picking a fight against Vladimir Putin as much as it is against Konev's legacy. But Konev isn't off of the hot seat that easily. He's not just a propaganda button. He has a history of his own. His imposing monument in Prague's affluent bubonic district, created by local sculptors in 1980 when Czechoslovakia was under the direction of the Kremlin, it started as a debate of historical accuracy of the inscriptions in writing on the monument itself. The, the debate after 1980, when this thing was created, immediately became, it became a conversation about semantics. The previous plate, the engraving, was actually lying. We hear from our guy, Mayor Andres Kolar of the Prague 6 municipality district. When Soviet troops arrived in Prague on, in May, there was only one SS German division here, and they were already on the outskirts of the city. The Nazis had surrendered to the forces of the Prague uprising. They'd left the previous day. The guys on the outskirts, they, they weren't even doing anything with the city at all. They had left the previous day before Marshal Konev's forces had even arrived. I can only imagine after Nazi rule fighting back and kicking out the, <laughs> via the Prague uprising and working and in solidarity and the people of Czechoslovakia and their capital city and the fortress of Prague fighting back and finally seeing the Nazis leave. And then the very next day seeing Marshal Konev on his way from, from the Eastern Front. Uh, to Berlin Hey there Marshall We're all good here But thank you uh, This city was basically free But that wasn't something Soviet propaganda wanted We are not denying the role Of the Red Army Or saying the Soviets didn't suffer They suffered a lot But not in Prague That's a statement from our guy Mayor Andrej Kolar Of the Prague 6th district He removed the statue for good but before he removed it He edited it And that's what started The drama that led to The death threats The the poisonings uh, Threats of poisonings And then ultimately now in 2020 With, it, with its removal his um, being found guilty Of a charge that now On the books He has a three year prison sentence The standing mayor of the District 6 The new engraving That was put into place prior to the monument's removal. Remember, we edited it before we removed it in this story. The new engraving credits Konev with commanding forces who liberated northern, central, and eastern Bohemia, a little bit more of a general flowery language, and writes that they were the first to enter Prague on the 9th of May, 1945, which it links him with the events of Hungary and Berlin as well, in 1968, he personally backed the intelligence surveillance preceding the invasion of the armed forces of the Warsaw Pact into Czechoslovakia. Okay, so it's also now coming in. Well, let's just take a step back. You can see what Mayor Andrej Kolar is doing here. The specific date of arrival on this new, on this new plaque, removes Prague from the liberation, the Russian liberation story. The date by the time that Ivan Komen arrived, now transcribed, is after the fact of Prague being free. He cannot be the liberator. And then to emphasize on his statue the caveat from 1968, emphasizing Konev as an invader. Totally different monument now. The inscription's accuracy, the edit, the edit to the inscription, Its accuracy has been endorsed by the Czech Army's Military History Institute, the Academy of Sciences in Czechoslovakia, and by independent local historians. The words are correct, said Peter Blazik, a historian with the Prague-based Institute for the Study of Totalitarian Regimes. Konev's role in 1945 is generally known. He missed it. His role in 1968 and 1956, much less known. Now the monument is shedding light on his actual involvement in Prague. Fair enough. The 1956 reference is regarding the Hungarian Revolution. Now, this is outside of, of Prague, but it's still a part of this story. 1956, a student protest against Soviet liberators caught fire and toppled a puppet, a puppet state government. In response, the Kremlin sent Komev. and over 2,500 Hungarians were killed. 700 Soviet troops were killed as well. It was an armed conflict in the city, leading to 200,000 Hungarians fleeing as refugees. Mass arrests and denunciations continued for months thereafter, and by 1957, over a year had kind of gone on, and this new Soviet-installed government had suppressed all public opposition once Konev got in there with the military and then the spy network was able to take hold very difficult for these social and student organized revolts to have really any effect the 1968 reference on the on the inscription on on the edit the 1968 references of the Warsaw Pact invasion of Czechoslovakia Officially known as Operation Danube, a joint invasion of Czechoslovakia. This was when they were, you know, soft communists. And this is the thing that transitioned them to hard communism. So that's the before and after here. Well, what happened? Well, Operation Danube, a joint invasion of Czechoslovakia by five Warsaw Pact countries, the Soviet Union, Poland, Bulgaria, East Germany, and Hungary. Well, just a few years prior, Hungary had their own revolution and were struck down. Poland and Bulgaria and East Germany are also occupied. So Warsaw Pact is a, is a wonderful branding tool of basically saying the, the Kremlin is coming to say hello. Konev needed a new place at this time, 1968, to park his 20 divisions. He was freed up. The monument's claim of liberation falls flat without the context of the Hungarian Revolution and the Prague Spring. Marshal Konev, a product of Soviet Revolution himself, invaded and occupied Czechoslovakia with 700,000 Soviet soldiers for eight months. After this invasion, Czechoslovakia entered their period of normalization. The Soviet state control that would propel Václav Havel Character, the main character that we'll dive into in the upcoming episode three, the Soviet state control, this period of normalization, the result of Ivan Konev's joint offensive with the Warsaw Pact to the transition from 1968 to now a point of hard communism under an era of normalization. He's running the same playbook that he did just a few years previously in Hungary, this guy Ivan Konev. He knows when something works and he doubles down on it. He's just rinsing and repeating from one democracy-leaning country to the next to make sure that the will of the people does not get in the way of what the Soviet Party wants to get done. Well, factually putting two revolutions down and being the cause for a third, that's coming, 1989, These changes to the Konev Monument provoked a furious response from the Russian embassy, which dismissed the connection with 1968 as unsubstantiated allegations and said the new inscription distorts the original monument. The unmistakable change in the appearance of a monument is important to preserving the memory of our nation's heroic struggle against Nazism and creates a dangerous precedent said Nikolay Brekian, an embassy spokesman. 2020 actions by the Russian State Department is curious involvement in a, in a local parks and rec affair of the District 6 in, in Prague, uh, to say the least. Czech critics you know, obviously this is a huge deal in Prague in twenty twenty. This is what is being talked about. You can go online and look at look at any news article that's been in any paper in Prague for the last, you know, two years and this is what we're talking about. Um, it might be new to us here in the USA, but it's certainly not anything new, uh, to, to the people that are living in this. You know, Czech journalists and critics called Russia's tactics blackmail and so that they were part of, the, of an effort by the government of Vladimir Putin to influence Czech politics by way of this statue debate and assert influence over former Soviet satellite states. What allows the Russian state to tell another sovereign country, that is a member of the European Union and NATO, what it should or shouldn't do with its own property? It's as if we're their colony. Isn't this upside down? the invaders protecting their monument of liberation, the reach of the Kremlin into a Parks and Recs issue in 2020, into another sovereign state they once but now no longer occupy? What is this upside down? Fact from fiction, propaganda from history, certainly a lot of projection. Marshall Konev, outside of these themes... He was the Winter Soldier. But despite his 20 tank divisions, his loyalty, his lumberjack upbringing, the Berlin Wall backbone, and his victorious career record, the hypocrisy of his own monument tells us more about authoritarianism than does his military dominance. After 10 years of normalization, the legacy of Marshal konev's story is described best by Václav Havel, who in 1978 authored The Power of the Powerless, a collection of essays written from behind the Iron Curtain. While the following excerpt would would land Václav Havel in a secret police jail himself for five years after the words that I'm about to read, his time in the Ordeal in Prague podcast series And his impact in this story in 2020, that's just beginning. So these are words from Vaclav Havel. And this will wrap up episode two as we transition into episode three. And Vaclav Havel begins this comment. And again, these are words that were written and in conjunction with what we'll share next time, Charter 77, basically saying this is who, in our country, is standing up for and standing against authoritarianism. And this is what the authoritarianism that we're standing against looks like. This is from Vaclav Powell. The post-totalitarian totalitarian system touches people at every step. But it does so with its ideological gloves on. This is why life in the system is so thoroughly permeated with hypocrisy and lies. Government by bureaucracy is called popular government. The working class is enslaved in the name of the working class. The complete degradation of the individual is presented as his or her ultimate liberation. Depriving people of information is called making information available. The use of power is... To manipulate is called the public control of power. And the arbitrary abuse of power is called observing the legal code. The repression of culture is called its development. The expansion of imperial influence is presented as support for the oppressed. The lack of free expression becomes the highest form of freedom. Farcical elections become the highest form of democracy. Banning independent thought. Becomes the most scientific of worldviews. Military occupation becomes fraternal assistance. Because the regime is captive to its own lies, it must falsify everything. It falsifies the past, it falsifies the present, and it falsifies the future. It falsifies statistics. It pretends not to possess an omnipotent and unprincipled police apparatus. It pretends to respect human rights. It pretends to persecute no one. It pretends to fear nothing. It pretends to pretend nothing. This has been part two of An Ordeal in Prague. History is happening right now, all over the world, the same story, connected and highlighted by the toppling of monuments. Join us for part three. How does a playwright Prove to the world that the pen is mightier than a Kremlin nuke. There's still these words that appear. My name is Ozymandias, king of kings. Look on my worksy mighty and despair. Nothing beside remains. Round the decay of that colossal wreck, boundless and bare, the lone and level sands stretch far away. Thanks, everybody. See you next time.